Welcome to the first ever episode of Taken Off the Ritz. I'm Dan Garman. We're here to talk about the all too often unspoken realities of what it's like to actually make a living in arts and entertainment. Through the years, I've had a wealth of candid conversations with friends, colleagues, agents, and various other industry professionals about money and the financial realities of my specific career path. But much more often, I've had to learn extremely hard truths about trying to make a living in entertainment through experience, usually after falling flat on my face in one of any number of ways. I've noticed that this experience is rather universal among professionals I talk to. There are very few resources available discussing how our favorite musicians, performers, producers, designers, creatives, or anyone else involved in arts and entertainment actually make money doing what they do, let alone how many hours they work, for what yield, let alone how they spend that money on their craft, their business, their future, or just on themselves, because sometimes we all deserve a spa day and a glass of Prosecco or nice scotch. I look around at everyone in the entertainment industry, myself very much included, I wonder how we all would have structured our lives and our priorities differently had we simply known more about what it means to succeed in a given career. Even if it's universally agreed on that someone has wildly succeeded in some sector of the arts and entertainment industry, are they actually making a steady living for themselves? How do people with and without money behind them live? How many successful people, quote-unquote, are still living paycheck to paycheck? Or even if they're living comfortably and saving for their future, what was that person's journey to success? Who advised them on how or when to maybe incorporate themselves as a business and save in taxes? How did they manage financially until they got into a management position or a coveted Broadway chair or were touring the world with a famous act? How are they managing student debt or various loans or getting grants? How did they manage when they were just starting out? What do they wish they could have told their younger self? These are the kind of conversations that I'm setting out to have in this podcast because I myself essentially YOLO'd into a music degree and career based on my passion and a desire to be validated, as well as the misguided millennial adage of, well, if you just try as hard as you can and grind it out, you'll make it. I've achieved some semblance of success as far as my younger, more naive self would be concerned. I feel extremely grateful and very lucky to have all the experiences that I've already had. And I'm just in my early mid thirties, but boy, do I wish that 15 years ago or more, I could have listened to professionals do more than post their content. The content is captivating. Who doesn't love watching gospel chops or someone belt their face off up in the stratosphere. It's impressive and it moves you. But there's a deeper truth behind it as well that is much less shared, to the point of it being pretty taboo. Maybe there's a chance that I would have gone into this industry equipped with better knowledge. Knowledge that I know no school can ever truly teach, because it would require a level of honesty from professors and administrators as well that I don't think we're ready to have yet. The main prevailing attitude in school is the harder you hustle, the better you play those changes, the higher you sing, 
the more you can act well, the more you'll just be guaranteed to make it eventually, whatever that means. That's not incorrect, but that's definitely not the full truth of how people actually are able to make a career in doing this. Lastly, I want to preface this entire podcast by explicitly mentioning that the primary focus here is not to talk about the merits or the deficiencies of capitalism or the system we live in as a whole. It'll be painfully obvious from various points in various episodes that there are real issues that are systemic, but there are probably hundreds or thousands of other podcasts that attempt to debate exactly that. And even if I personally wish that, of course, there should be more social structures in place for freelancers or grants for the arts or other things that support people in the arts and entertainment industry, that's just not the reality here. The truth is we live in the system that we live in. I'm interested in having honest discussions about the realities and the struggles and the moments of clarity of living inside this system with as little value judgment as humanly possible given to any of it. With that said, let's do this. We've got a great first show for you today with one of the baddest dudes I've ever met in my entire life. No hyperbole. Multi-hyphenate doesn't even begin to describe him. He is an award-winning multi-instrumentalist, producer, composer, and self-described all-encompassing audio house. He's toured the world playing guitar, keys, and synth bass for major artists like Justine Skye, Ali Gady, John Cicada, and Pedro Capo. He composes, he makes sound effects, and mixes for companies like IBM, Red Bull, Ocean Spray, and Elijah Craig Whiskey. He and I have shared the stage with the likes of Titus Burgess, Jane Krakowski, and lots of other Broadway stars. I love him to death, and I know you will too. Here is David Sub-Q Kawamura. All right, we got David Kawamura here, a.k.a. Sub-Q Music. Hey. <laughs> How you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good, you know. Uh, it's still kind of early for me. Didn't, didn't do much, but kind of like clean my space, <laughs> get a little coffee. Exactly. You know, Move get a little car. hit off this vape pen. Oh. <laughs> you, you're a little wake and bake. For... Oh, yeah. Well, hey, um, I'm really grateful to have you on um, you are guest numero uno, and um, we'll see how this goes, man. But you're you're someone who I've been wanting to talk to about this. When I was thinking about putting this together, I was really interested to talk to you because you're doing a lot, and you've been doing a lot. And we met under one pretense where I was like, "Whoa, this guy is one of the best musicians I've met." And then I realized as we got to know each other better, that's like just that's like your side hustle almost. Like you weren't even doing the, we met, I, I assumed that you were like in it, in it just on that. And then I'm like, oh my God, he has like 5,000 other things he's doing really successfully as well. I see you like on world tour. I see you getting placements with crazy companies. I see you, you know, doing Broadway readings and this and that, and we play together. So I was really excited to talk to you just about how you found your way to where you are. And I guess my, my, where I would love to start is like, just tell Tell us, like, 
or tell me where um, where you got your start and like how, just how you came into just doing music, what you know, what it was like, and how you found your path to making a career, deciding to make a career in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, thank you for having me. First off, Dan, I'm excited to be here. Um, those are uh, yeah. I, I guess I haven't really thought about this in a while, but you know, I, I started doing music when I was a kid. You know, started playing flute and then kind of just moved on up from that to playing uh, some piano and some guitar and then moving on to like other rhythm section instruments, you know. So my get was always just the instrument side and the actual just love for music and being being a player, you know, being a reader, you know. Um, but I really think, you know, once I got my first, uh, I got like a, like a digital eight track recording device when I was like 13. Mm. And that's when I was like, yo, having like a iteration of myself being recorded was like an amazing feeling. Just like, Oh, I can like listen to myself back again, you know? And so that kind of was like hand in hands with my skills with becoming a musician and becoming to record myself. Those kind of like went together, you know? And once I got into Berkeley, I, I think I took a little step away from recording music and kind of just focused more on like playing changes and learning fucking scales, modes and all that shit. Cause that's performance at Berkeley. So I spent a lot of time doing just that. It's just performing and learning, but you know, um, we all had laptops at Berkeley too. So I had, I still had a chance to, you know, re- re- explore kind of producing on a laptop in, in my later age, what that actually meant. And so um, I had a few buddies who were producing majors and engineer majors at Berkeley. And so I, I literally would just take their books and their homework and mm. literally just read it, you know? Nice. And like at the same time of learning, doing all the shit I had to practicing Ableton. Cause that was actually like, that was fun. That was like my side thing, you know? Um, and then, you know, kind of like everyone typically that gets out of college and needs to make money and with music, it's no different and you got to just find every avenue you can, you know? And so that's, that's what I started doing kind of shittily shitty avenues at first, you know, kind of like, when well, you first yeah. And that's, and that's the question, right? So, okay. So, you know, what it sounds like already and what's very clear is you weren't just about specialization from a young age. Like, you you know, yes, you're playing. So first of all, you're playing a ton of different instruments. I didn't even know until now that you play. you started with the flute. <laughs> yeah, that was my first <laughs> instrument. <laughs> I love that, man. That's great. Yes. No, I mean, so, so playing it, cause I mean, here, here's the first thing that has always been thrown as a discussion is like, Hey, if you want to make it in this industry, you have to be the absolute best at like a thing you have to practice your guitar and know everything about the guitar and if you are like fucking around doing stuff with ableton god forbid um that's wasting your time and so yeah yeah. yeah, so 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 what's clear is that wasn't your philosophy at all you've always been kind of dabbling in since you're a kid in a bunch of different stuff a little bit of everything, you know, but I, I've, I've heard that a lot too. You know, I, I used to have like my, my high school music teacher used to be like, oh, don't do too much of everything because it's going to fuck you over. And so I, you know, I, there is like a, it's like strange because there is like a balance in life where I do think you need to like hone the fuck in on certain things, you know, you know, there is only so much you can do, but you know, it, it's like, 
certain periods of my life I've been I've gone like really crazy on just focusing on just guitar, you know, and 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 being able to I guess like subdivide your time well mm. and, t- and manage your time and be like okay like utter focus however long utter focus needs to be you know for for like berkeley it was like just piano guitar uh for f- first year like eight hours a day in the practice room don't do anything else but these two things you know then my second year at berkeley it was like okay you got a little more time now let's like begin to explore ableton you know, and then like, it was like a year after I got out of college, it was like only Ableton. It was like, I was only focusing on how to get better at Ableton, producing, making a ton of shitty music, shitty beats, and not really practicing guitar like that, you know? And so it ebbs and flows really, you know, because I, I do think there is importance in just like fucking like tunnel vision on on one thing. And that's how you get really good at something is when you get obsessed with it. And it is a little bit harder to be like, you know, obsessed with something when there's like all these distractions. So you know, overall, I'm 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 a little bit into everything, you know, but like I really feel like I had to focus really hard and like dive deep to get good at certain things. And, you know, because I've made certain habits like that, you know, I can like always access that and like hone in and focus or kind of like have all my music sensory awareness around, you know, all the time. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well, and yeah, I mean, that that makes total sense. I mean, I, I I think that is another through line as I just have had conversations with you and everyone else I know in, in various industries who are more kind of jack of all trades or at least to have a couple or many things they do well is that, yeah, there was always serious, serious time and almost virtual like ADHD hyperfixation obsession. You know, yeah, when you're in an Ableton spree, you're reading every book, you're on mix with the masters, you're like doing XYZ to figure out all the tricks. It's not like a casual, oh, I'm going to pick it up. It's like, here's a new thing that I'm going to add to my tool belt and I'm going to try to really seek out a whole bunch of stuff. I I totally, I resonate with that. And I think there are definitely, um, well, we can talk more about that. But I, I think kind of what, so what I'm curious about is two things. Number one, was there ever, when you were in high school into college, but I mean, Berkeley is Berkeley, uh, Berkeley School of Music in Boston for any, anyone listening. Who's I'm not, not like a law super, major. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but you are from California, so. Yes. But um, yeah, I mean, I guess the question is like, did you ever think about another, did you ever think about a career at all? Like the, the concept of like, oh man, I like maybe one day have to make a living for myself. Or was it just like, uh, you know, did, did you ever have those thoughts? Did you ever have pressure to do something other than music? And then when you did kind of graduate and have to start facing that reality, how was that experience? Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, for me, it was like, music was always the answer and the most career oriented I would have ever gotten is teaching it, you know, cause that cool. was the most solid way to make a living and like a sure way, you know, playing was always like, it was a big question mark when I was in high school, like, what am I going to do for a living? And it was like, well, at least I can fall back on teaching because I know that's solid. You know, I, I had a teacher, everyone has a teacher, everyone needs teaching a teacher. Pri- so you're talking about teaching privately. Privately. Yeah. Yeah. Privately. Or, or, you know, also going, going professor route, teacher school route, getting a degree in that, you know, that was like always like the career backup plan. That was know? in your mind. You were, yeah. like, so you, okay. So you were focused enough that you weren't blindly going into it. You like, you had kind of a fallback 
idea yeah. if it doesn't work out. And, and it was always like music following it as a passion. It was like, okay, this is for sure what I want to do. No matter what I have to do while I'm doing it, it's that's got to be the answer no matter what, you know. And then and it started like that. I, I started teaching right when I got out of high school, you know. Well, actually, I, I had like a few like, you know, retail jobs. I like worked at Starbucks. That was my last day job was Starbucks. And <laughs> was that in high school? That was, uh, I was like 20. I was like two years out of high school. Okay, and I remember yeah. the day I quit to get like a music teaching job. And that was like the most fulfilling thing yeah. that I could have done for myself. Cause I was like, I'm finally now paying my shit with music, you know, there you but go. you know, got into Berkeley, didn't have to work for a couple of years, you know? And then after that, it was like, okay, I, I didn't really want to teach anymore. Cause it just wasn't, you know, that's not what I studied all these fucking years to do. You know, I've studied to perform. And so, once once I graduated, then that was like a whole another question mark of like, okay, which which path do I want to go? What am I going to focus my time on outside of college and how to develop whatever skills? And so that was a lot of fucking, you know, wedding band stuff, corporate band stuff, finding like open mics that artists would be like, hey, I got $50. Can you play my open mic? Yeah. Shit, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, how, okay, so there you go. So so that's kind of the the path there. Like how when you say wedding bands, corporate bands, w- did you find that Berkeley just in terms of like what you had put in, like were those connections to people because I think a lot of people graduating, right? It's like uh or just hitting the real the quote real world for the first time. I I have this distinct memory. I'll never forget it. I I was in Montreal for a couple of years after school and that's a whole existential crisis for another day. But like, I finally, I knew New York was the path. I knew I was going there and I get to New Like I put all my stuff in my best friend's Prius. We moved to Brooklyn. I get into this shoebox of a sublet for like 850 bucks a month. This is like a decade ago before it got crazy, crazy. And it was still like, <laughs> Say, hey, 850 a month is expensive for 10 years ago. No, well, it was nice. It was a nice place, and but like, and I was doing my best. It was only because it was only a month or two sublet, and then I ended up finding a place way cheaper, way bigger. But anyway, uh, you know, finding finding good housing is something we can totally talk about because we both spent a bunch of time in Brooklyn. Um, But uh, I remember getting there and setting up, and I had this desk that was like this big with my laptop and my like my Nord, and I'm in my room and I'm sitting there and I'm like, what do I do? Like, I, I literally remember, like, I was playing a video game, just trying to, like, center myself and hang out and decompress. And then I just looked at the screen, and I was like, I'm in New York. How do I do this, man? Like, I, and I, I know that my, I mean, I think my experience is, like, pretty normal for someone who didn't go to a school in the Northeast, if they're moving to New York, like if you had gone to a Cali school uh, and, and studied music, if you're in Texas, if you're whatever, if you're someone just getting to the city, like maybe you have some friends. I had some friends who weren't necessary. I had, I, I did have a bunch of connections to like jazz people, which is a whole other discussion, but like, mm-hmm. um, I, I moved there and I thought I would, you know, Oh, maybe I'll do a master's. Maybe I'll try to find some gigs, but I just, I remember the moment of this big existential crisis. So first of all, like, did you graduate? Did you have that moment or did you have enough momentum from Berkeley and from your people, like from the community you built in Boston to, cause you stayed in Boston if I remember correctly, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Mm. So like, how did you find your way from like, Hey, I graduated to, 
I found those corporate bands or I found, you know, open mics. Mm-hmm. Like, what were you doing that allowed that to happen? Well, first off, I go through like a quarterly existential crisis. <laughs> like every few <laughs> to, to months. This day, to this to day. To this day, yeah. Oh, I always have this like, oh my God, am I doing what I want to do? Why am I doing this? What is it that, you know, and, and not not like a, I want to quit, but more like what exactly am I spending my time with? You know, am I, you know, um, spending more time with artists or am I spending too much time doing corporate stuff? You know, when I, when I graduated, I did have quite a bit of momentum because, you know, I was, I was good friends with a lot of like players that were already gigging in the city or they knew older people. So it, it to some degree, I almost, I almost feel like I was able to like follow a mold, you mm-hmm. know, cause uh, I, I, I had some friends that were in like a, a wedding band that were all full of young people that were also touring musicians or, you know, they had bigger aspirations outside of this corporate band, but it was a good corporate band, you know? And so I joined this band and um, kind of got plugged in really easily with people that were already, you know, like touring and gigging and all this stuff, you know? So, you know, but that, that in itself created an existential, existential crisis because that to me replaced my, Starbucks replaced my music with another thing that was like a little soul draining, you know, it was like playing a wedding band. was like, that was almost as bad as teaching. I'm, I'm, I'm playing like this kind of soulless gig playing fucking Miley Cyrus over and over night after night in clubs, Mm -hmm. Monday through Thursday, and then doing weddings Friday and Saturday, you know, that was a existential crisis in itself. And so I had to kind of also do like the production stuff is kind of like helped me, keep like a light at the end of a tunnel sort of thing. Like, okay, I'm at least trying to do my own music or I'm at least working with artists outside of, you know, just doing weddings and shit like that, you know? Well, and that, exactly. So, I mean, that's, that feels like a reality, right? Like Mm. I've found myself in that situation many more times than I can possibly count. Right. That like, I look around and I'm almost having an out of body experience while I'm doing a gig where I'm like, what am I playing? Like, am oh I, I like, like, Oh my God, I'm playing the synth solo from so shut up and dance yes. for these people again. And, but, but I think now that I'm older, I have a bit more patience and presence because I, you know, I've had a career mm. enough to, to respect and be like, Hey, it's just a gig, you know? And, and like, mm. these people deserve to have fun. They paid to have a wedding. Like I, I can be a bit more present with it. I think in the early days, I was so disconnected from everything that wasn't exactly what I wanted to do that, like, I don't even know if I was respectful at all to the people who were getting married. Like, sometimes I would play a ceremony um, and I'm going to tell you, I'll tell you this really quick story because it's it's indicative, right? Like, I, I, like you, I knew that I wanted to be real, you know, just unearthing the deepest nature of the cosmos through Mm -hmm. art right i was like oh man i have so much to say um and but you know i'm i I was in montreal and i was teaching yeah like 20 something students a week that's how i was making my living the year or two after i graduated i wasn't playing very much Mm. i got a wedding gig once and i was playing keys for the ceremony and then they had a little reset like a cocktail reception that i was gonna play i brought my little drum travel kit so and um I get there to, and there was an hour north of Montreal in the middle of nowhere, literally the middle of like the, the boom, like nothing was there. And, uh, Tundra. There's this ch- yeah, literally there's this tiny town, there's a church and that's where they're getting married. I walk into the church 
And they're like, oh, it's so nice to meet you. Very deep Quebecois, crazy French people. And um, and I was like, cool, where's the piano? And they go, what do you mean, where's the piano? <laughs> and I, and I uh, turns out no one told me to bring a keyboard. Yeah, like, uh, dude, you, didn't, you didn't load your piano up into your car today? <laughs> no, because I was driving a bunch of other people and I already had my drum set and the guitarist's amp and like nothing else fit. Like, right, but I mean, bringing, what did they expect you to actually bring? No, like, no, I know. I mean, like, I mean, well, even if I had had like a little, but, but my understanding was it's a church, you know, this was naive, right? And these are life lessons that you learn real fast. I was like, oh, it's a church. There's a piano. And it's like, no, there was, a, maybe there was a piano upstairs in a different room, but like there was no piano on stage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, by the grace of whatever, um, there was the, the usher, found a 61 key Casio keyboard in the backstage. Like basement or like, Oh that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like backstage. <laughs> and he, and, it, and I brought it out and it had a pedal. Thank God. And I took, and it was so resonant in the church that I took the pastor or the, the, um, whatever you call it, the pulpit or whatever, the microphone. And I turned, I goosenecked it over to one of the speakers of the keyboard and I played their ceremony with a cellist on a 61 key Casio keyboard. And it sounded okay because of the church acoustics. But like, that was a moment where I was like, I was like, man, what am I doing? I know. Oh my <laughs> God. That is oh, only in a church when that happened. Cause it's always like, you've got to bootleg the craziest shit in churches, dude. That yeah. Is oh yeah. So funny, dude. Uh, I used to play a church where they, Sometimes if they didn't have, like the, the drummer was the son of the pastor and uh, he could play keys, but like he was mostly a drummer. And sometimes if the keyboardist didn't show up, he would just play drums with the choir. So it'd be choir, <laughs> just drums. And they're like guessing what key they're in because there's no reference at all. You know, That's so funny, man. I love those. Yeah, I, I love those stories. You've worked in churches a bunch too, I know for sure. Um, so, so I guess just to like try to get to where you are now from where, so right now you're, you've graduated, you're doing corporate gigs, you're learning Ableton more. Like what, so between, in the last whatever it is, 15 years between that period of your life and now, um, kind of broadly, how did you find the career that you've found at this moment? And like, what were, what were the moments of like serious struggle and like what, you know, just whether financially or just emotionally, like, how did you find how you make a living? Cause you, you have a place you're doing well on paper, like, you know, and, and like probably financially, but I don't know. And that's part of the reason that I wanted to do this. Right. Because there's a lot of people who I look at and I'm like, you're my idol. You're making it. You're succeeding. I respect the hell out of you. And then I start talking to them and they're like, oh, yeah, man, I like barely make it paycheck to paycheck, which is oh, so man. scary for me to hear that from people I love and respect. And I think are some of the most brilliant people I've ever met. They should be making six figures just based on the merit of what they're doing right. because it's so awesome. So so I guess that's a lot to try to ask. But mm-hmm. if you you know, I, I think it's going to be indicative. Just like, how did you find your way to where you are? You know, from yeah. from there. I mean, yeah, I, I'm I'm lucky enough and blessed enough to not really struggle. Like, I I I, I can pay my bills. I, I I can save decently. New York is really expensive, but I'm I'm able to save and and not struggle. I I do work a lot. You know, I'm I'm always like doing stuff, but um, yeah, you know, like uh, 
you know, like post Berkeley, especially like finding these different ways to make money with music, you know, uh, outside of playing. So like Ableton, you do it using my production skills, music production skills to kind of find more opportunities was really helpful in, in kind of like getting this like two lane, like career path that I have like live playing and like production and being in the studio, you know? Um, and a lot of it was like through like sync work. You know, like I, mm-hmm. I had like a this like sync deal. Huh? So, so for people who don't, because this is maybe something that people aren't quite aware of the details of. So, can you talk just for people who are more performance based or who are just getting into, who are in college or fresh grad? Like, what is sync work, and um, how how did you find it, and and how did you get into actually making it part of your career? So. To the the short short answer of sync is basically whenever you know sync work is is putting music with video as literally the syncing of the two of them, um, and really it's the whole another business of it you know because sync is not just music sometimes music uh, is one part of it but it's also sound effects are like mm-hmm. uh, foley you know syncing is literally like syncing the two things together you know so um, you're composing stuff including doing like sound design stuff like sound effects and stuff for is for tv for film for commercials for a little bit of, of everything yeah yeah uh mostly the it was easier to start with ads you know and uh, the, the way i got started really was uh, a songwriting friend of mine she knew a music supervisor and uh, this music supervisor basically it has connections with brands or partnerships with like a different TV and film companies. And they'll go to her, you know, with different briefs be like, Oh, Hey, we need this type of, uh, we need like a exciting rap song for this type of scene. Can you, you know, see if any of your musicians or producers have that, you know? Um, so that was one way she would have a sync library where I would fill her library up with all these different types of beats. And then she would, I would also get custom work from her too. So sometimes they would commission her with like, Oh, we need something to be made from scratch. Can mm-hmm. you send this out to see if any producers can do this? And uh, I would, I would always say yes to a lot of these briefs, even though they were like sometimes ridiculous or they were like tight deadlines or sometimes no money at all. But I would do it, you know, and I would just try to keep filling up these libraries and try to keep, you know, working with the sync agent. And I ended up doing like five different albums with the sync agent with my songwriting partner. Me and my songwriting partner, we would, we did one for like Red Bull, we did one for Universal, we did one for this company called Marmoset. Um, and though it was a lot of work for not a lot of money. It was like five songs each EP. Uh, each song I would spend probably on average like 17 to 20 hours. Oh, wow. Putting the whole thing together because they kept coming back with notes and shit. You know, they'd have like, oh, we want this section to have maybe a little more of this synth in here. And, you know, it was a lot of back and oh, forth. Oh, like really, really quite specific. You know, because it's, it's getting pitched to commercial companies. So, you know, they have like a very specific, sometimes really corny sound. say <laughs> it, But it's like over the top, you know, like everything has to have like a certain thing to it to make it sellable you know so that was actually really good training i learned how to like make my music available for sync companies so when i pitch it now i kind of know what it is that they're looking for you know and so yeah well it, so here before so not to interrupt but no. so so can do you feel comfortable you don't have to you don't have to actually name which contract is what 
But like, what's an example for someone listening, including myself, because I don't do sync work. I've had opportunities maybe to like get into it a bit. And it's never been something I've jumped into. I have friends who are very, you know, you and a couple people in LA. And I, it's always been a huge curiosity of mine. And the question is, so like, let's say, like, what is the payment structure? Uh, would it be, A, would it be different if you didn't have an agent? Because I'm sure if you have like a songwriting partner who's an agent, like th- there's a different structure there. But like, did you sign... I guess, what were the details of that contract? Like, did you sign a contract with the company or with your agent? And then, like, how, when did you get paid? How, if you're comfortable sharing how much, like, a song average gets paid? And, like, just, just so people are aware. Because, you know, I, th- I think there's a, there's a misconception for sure that, like, oh, if you do a song for IBM, like, IBM, that's a billion-dollar company. Like, you must be making 10 grand a song or something. You know, you know what I mean? So, so just like, what are the details of that contract? So an agent would definitely help out uh, quite a bit, like having someone to negotiate and, and kind of like a commission for you to get better pay. But that's not always easy. And that's not always the situation because a lot of times it's agents, sync agents are music supervisors that kind of pass this work down you know, mm-hmm. from the brands. And so there's like this liaison, this middle ground. And a lot of times the, the contracts will look like uh, an even split with some of these sync agents, which is, in my opinion, kind of unfair. Like these, for example, those were the Red Bull album. I had a songwriting partner and the sync agent, and we split it three ways. So wow. everyone had, you know, uh, and I mean, I literally put in the most work, you know, and and still got, and, and also, so a lot of these too, they give you a kill fee our demo fee of like mm-hmm. $200, $250. Um, and basically that's like, oh, if they, they don't choose or they don't use it, keep the 250 the track is yours, and thank you for your time. Gotcha. If they do end up choosing it, there's a lot of times a sync fee. Um, and that can range, you know, some sync fees I've gotten are like 700 Some sync fees are like 5Gs. You know, it depends on kind of the brand and, and really who is like negotiating you know, and and, and it, it really is, it varies uh, with how many hands are in the pot, you know, right. how high up and how direct you are, you know, because I've worked with some producers for companies where there's no sync agent, there's no music supervisor. It's just me and the original producer of like the video wow. or the ad that's needed. And so with that, it's like a way bigger budget, you know, like I've been asked to do like a low budget uh, for certain ads. It's like 15000 some and people. so that fifteen thousand gets paid to you. If I wasn't working with a sync agent, it'd be right to me. And if you were working with a sync agent, just from just that, I mean, this is crazy because this this is really this is a different structure than say like my agent for performance stuff, right? Because agents and managers on producing for you know for jazz, for for classical for Broadway for this for that generally like the you know the industry standard is like an agent gets 10% a manager gets 20% of whatever contracts they negotiate that's just that's normal so you're saying that if you had a sync agent for that $15,000 contract for, and they chose it that you would walk away with 7500 and your agent would walk away with 7500 or there's different splits I would want 7500 but to be real I've been screwed over before where it goes even the other way where I get even less than half because they and you're don't, the one doing the work. Yeah, and they don't have to tell you. That's the thing. You know, they have a conversation with their own brands. And they have a whole different understanding, and they can budget it however they want. You know? Okay, so you're con- so you're not contracted through the company. 
you're contracted through your agent a lot of times and they'll just pay you a fee. It depends. Yeah, it depends. Like I've been trying to find more direct connections with companies and try to to move around music supervisors and sync agents because they do take quite a bit and it, it's like a whole different situation, you know. It's a little bit harder to harbor relationships directly because you're just not around those people, you know. They're not musicians. They don't work around same types of people. So it's like kind of having to reach out of my network a little bit to try to find people like that. It is much easier and much more direct to work with agents and supervisors. And because, and, you know, they, 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 they do all the work of finding the work, you know, and now it's kind of just up to you to do it. And, and you know, that, that's to say like 15K, that, that, that's pretty high. Uh, no, I know. Yeah. You know, I, a, a music I mean, as super- an example. A music supervisor, if they got a budget like that, instead of spending it all on one song, what they most likely would do is fish for like a bunch of people to like submit to this one library they're looking for and be like, oh, I have 15,000 to spread amongst however many people, you know. So it's really, mm-hmm. yeah, like how, how, where you are in the chain and what you want to do with your money, you know, like. So when you look at that <laughs> chain and then the, the this kind of feels like we've talked about this enough that there's like a general understanding here, but like, I guess, I guess my question to you, right? So you're looking at this and do you, have you ever thought about what, or, or has there ever been an opportunity where you're like, man, if I just develop relationships enough with, you know, the people actually working these things that like, maybe like, I could be the music supervisor. Is that, is that something that naturally organically happens if you're like one of the people doing the most libraries where it's suddenly people are like, whoa, this guy, like, I love his work, whatever. Let's put him in charge as the music supervisor for this next, uh, you know, sync we need for this next album. Or is it kind of like it's two stratospheres and these people above are like managing like MBA. Are, are they musicians? They must be because they're music supervisors. So like, yeah, what, what is that stratification and like how would someone get the job that's the the supervisor job? I guess is my question mm-hmm. if you know. Mm-hmm. Versus yeah. connections. The well, the music supervisor job is really they they are a lot of times musicians, or they have to have like a sense of what's good music, what's bad music. So yeah, they they a lot of times they are musicians, but you know, they're, they're I think their day to day tasks are a little different. You know, like a company structure with like producers who make the company run, admin side. You know, that's kind of where they land. And then there's like the artists part of a company where it's like they do all the the work and they work with the admin to kind of get the music out to the, 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 the ads are like the actual bigger brands, you know? So like a music supervisor it, to, to be asked to do that, you know, you, you would do less art producing and you probably do more fishing and shopping around, you know, and more emailing, you know? And Right. So it's like, it's like a more corporate job, but you're going to get, I mean, and these are, these are exactly the questions that I'm curious about because clearly like, as someone who is just a badass musician, uh, that's less appealing from from a from a career standpoint. Like, who wants to be on email more if you're like making Absolutely. stuff, making stuff happen? Absolutely. But these are the kind of things where, like, you know, do you do you see people who start where you are, like, kind of being like, you know what, like, I'm gonna just I'm gonna hang up the producer hat for a sec, and I'm just gonna like move to something that's less demanding mm-hmm. in terms of like 
nuance and time and like Ableton stuff. Like I'd rather just write a couple emails and try to get my, like I I feel well connected enough in the industry that like, that's the path. Like, do you, do you see people gravitating more toward that and kind of like walking away? Absolutely. You know, uh, those types of people are also the types of people that would be uh, like a sound engineer at a live venue talking about how they used to be a live player. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, I, I know. Used to, and, I used yeah, to it, play that guitar. No, exactly. And and, and so, and, and this is the main thing, right? Like, oh, throughout my career, I've definitely seen, and, and, and I'm somewhat guilty of this at this point, but I, I don't think I have the same, I'd like to think I don't have the same uh, resent. Like, I'm still performing. I'm still doing stuff, but, but um, I'm I'm far enough along that like I don't want to take what I consider like unfulfilling mm-hmm. like smaller things anymore. I'm trying to draw that line. I've been yeah. doing it for 15 years, and um, I think there's this generalized thing of you know the joke that's like oh if you can't do you teach or if, <laughs> like that's kind of like the same the same deal here where people and and I think the thing that I'm realizing maybe for me is. Um, there's this general sentiment, I think, among like musicians who are like pure, this is my shit. Mm-hmm. And like, there's that, that if you were to step away, if you were to do something like that, that like you lost, you lost the game. Mm-hmm. Like that, that the, the people who get the badge and who get the, you know, all the military like little things sewn on for like having done more service are the people who stick with it no matter what. Right. Like, right, like giving right, up, right. like writing those emails and becoming the music supervisor and giving up on the music. It's like, yeah. how could you, man? You were yeah, so yeah. talented. But so, you I know, think I. That, yeah. Well, Sorry to interrupt. No, 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 no. I, you're not interrupting, man. Go for it. I, I think that's a, that is an important moment to have is, is like, am I becoming this? Oh, uh, I'm giving up something I love. Am I going to become bitter about it? You know, cause I, I do think about that when I produce music sometimes, cause I've, I've been starting to produce for like more artists where they have their own musicians and I'm now just going to have to direct them, you know? And it's like, dang, like, I, I feel like I, I gotta like make an effort to be like, don't, look at it like you're the player you know you have to like be able to step out of it a little bit and 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 it's all time and place because i you know i I don't think i I can play for my entire life there's going to be arthritis that sets in at some point there's going to be some sort of you know there's always health issues with musicians when you get really really old and so finding a way to not depend on your body to make music or make money with music is really important you know and like you know our bodies are like only so limited on how much they can do. And so sooner or later, yeah, these emails might have to get written, you know, but <laughs> as long as you're fulfilled before you had to do that, or, you know, you, you kind of know what you're getting into, you know, like, cause see, I, I feel like really bitter, really bitter sound engineers, like they never wanted to quit music, you know, right. they just, right. I think that's to. the distinction. That's the distinction is have you made that decision as the best move for yourself mm-hmm. as something that you, you just walk into and you say, Hey, like, I, you know, the, the majority of my career I, as the, you know, the financial half of my career is going to be primarily from stuff that's tangentially music or not music at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't, f- and I don't have any resent toward that. Um, and I still get to play with people I want to play with. I still get to do the shit I want to do or, yeah, is it like you just couldn't make it and you couldn't make ends meet 
and there is resent. And like, is that something that um, you need to work on? Because I'll, I'll be a hundred percent real with anyone listening. Uh, I wonder if you were to give truth serum to every professor you've ever had, how many of them would really be like, I'm here to teach. And how many would be like, I couldn't make it. And, 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 and how many of them are okay with that and love the job that they've, you know, that pays the bills and how many of them um, have that resent? Because I think that resent bleeds, that resent bleeds through. If you have a sound engineer who feels that way, your gig is going to sound shitty. It just is. Or at least if it doesn't sound shitty, it's going to be, it's not going to be fun to play. Like having someone who is a sound engineer, who's like, I love sound and I love making bands sound good is so different than having someone who's like, man, I wish I could be taking a guitar solo like that awesome <laughs> exactly. little dude on stage. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. I, I mean, it, and those are the and those are the realities. And I think being a professional is also just dealing with the reality that those are other professionals and that energy exists. And it doesn't mean that it has to necessarily like dictate your gig, but sometimes it does. Sometimes it literally just ruins your day. Oh, there's and no way you can get around it. There's no way you can get around it. And that's just part of, that's part of the industry. You know, but, I, I think what you're saying is also a really important point to bring up to like, uh, like people that do stuff just for money with music. Like with the path I, I see you kind of going on is cause like you, you've made, decent money with music like you don't you have all these businesses now that are actually helping you elevate i think your music because now you can say no to shit you don't want to do you know so there's a way to elevate yourself forward i think you know like you know if if, if a sound guy is like oh i gave up doing music i i gave up playing live because i was only doing shitty gigs i'm instead getting really dope sound gigs that are paying my bills that i can now take some time and be like, okay, I want to play different gigs. I feel like, you know, I guess this is a question for you is, is like, do you feel like uh, you're positioning yourself financially in that way? Is that, is that kind of like a goal? Like, let me make sure my shit's taken care of so I can play what I want. I think so. I, I think more than anything, I think it's twofold. I think one, one is I had a seer. So pre pandemic, I mean, this is, you know, you want to talk about, and this is the other thing, like timing of the pandemic for professionals mid, like early mid career versus timing for the, you know, people who are in college versus timing for people who are in high school or younger. Like these are, everyone had their own experience with it. And a lot of people, if, you know, I, I, my heart goes out to people who like had to go into their freshman year of college as the pandemic started like that would have killed me and that would have made life much harder i think uh hypothetically i was at a point where i lost and and i'm just going to be real about this and i have no i have no qualms i lost one hundred and fifty thousand dollars of work in three days due to covid Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. due to covid i had a bunch of contracts in place that was that was the most lucrative contracts i've ever had in my life and i was just about to feel secure in my life for the very first time. And they all never came back. They never came back. Like pandemic happened, you know, whatever. I took some, some remote gigs and some unemployment here and there. And we did the thing. And though that, those contracts never reappeared. And, you know, I think I've done some more, some mourning and some therapy and just like, come to that realization of, Hey, that timeline 
wasn't supposed to, it just wasn't, it didn't happen. Cool. And um, what happened was I got back into the industry when stuff started opening up and I was like, let's go. I, you know, I was, I wasn't maybe as gung ho. I did take some time away during the pandemic to like kind of to to do some reflection, look at the direction of life. And we did some other, my wife and I did some other stuff, Um, you know, uh, but I got back and I started to get offers and the offers were terrible, man. And my agent, thank God I have an agent. He, he kept looking at me and saying, you can't take don't take this. And then my wife looked at me and she was like, why are you taking this? Like what, what, mm-hmm. you know, that you're being disrespected at this point post pandemic by, by, by getting these offers um, for the amount of work that you've done before. And for the amount of work that you're going to have to do for these, they were, some of them were gigs I had done before. Some of them that were coming back, some of them were new things. And I was getting all of these offers that I said no to like, five big things in a row for the first time in my life. I never said no before the pandemic. And I just, there was enough space and there was enough pain of being outside of it and facing these offers and being like, wow, these people don't value me. And it was one thing when I was younger, it was good money. But then like many years later to be offered basically the same as I was making way before and with a pandemic and my agent being like, here's our counter offer. And they're like, we can't even meet you a 10th of the way to your offer with representation. So I think that those experiences made me angry and sad because I, and I've had a lot of experiences throughout my career of like almost getting the thing or getting the thing. And then something happens and it's, you know, and it's not, it's not because I'm a shitty person to have in the room. I hope it's <laughs> it's because not. I it's because I'm someone who likes to ask questions and understand the yeah, contract. Right. And I have and 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 that, that was actually one of the things that led me to having an agent, which is getting screwed a whole million times. Um, but uh, that's half of it. And then the other half, being away, was like during the pandemic. I think I like started just listening to music again. I think I was playing, and this is maybe something for people who are like early mid early career. Like when you're just grinding as hard as you possibly can, sometimes like listening to music stops being fun because you do it all the time. Oh my God. So I think, I think I just had an opportunity and my wife is not a musician and she loves music. So I think I just started listening to music again during the pandemic as a listener and someone who appreciates it. I think when I got back and started getting these offers, I was like, man, this music doesn't, the, the thing people are asking me to do don't motivate me anymore except for the ones that do and then i say yes and you know i said yes to a gig post pandemic that i made negative a hundred dollars on after i paid everybody that was what and i did so much work i, I mean no I no yeah. no but it was because it's because i love i love the project and i love you were actually on this project so <laughs> <laughs> that's respect that's a lot i respect no, well, that dan I no well, that, that. but that's the Right. And that's and that and that's what to me I was trying to remind myself again of like why am I doing this? And if if I'm presented with something that feels beautiful and and reminds me of the whole reason why I was like f- five years old that I cared about music in the first place, like I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna make sure the people I'm hiring get paid. 
I'm going to do my best to promote the show and essentially act as like a vested interest because something's really early on. So if I have to pay $100 to like make something happen practice space wise so we can have the proper space, like I'm going to help out. And yeah, I made negative a hundred dollars and I did a ton of work, but, um, it was really satisfying. And yeah. that was a, that was a cool moment. But I think if someone, but from a financials perspective, it made no sense at all because I spent like a week and a half of my life, like 15 hours a day, yeah. like doing stuff for this Damn. and walked away. I walked away with ownership of the material. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so there was no buyout or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but also with a hundred dollars poor. Um, <laughs> you so, know, it, it's yeah. interesting because like that, that is really, to, to me, those are almost goals to lose on something that's a passion project. You know, it, it's a passion project. So obviously that's given with the title that, you know, it, it's, 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 it's no money or it's like an investment, you know, but to be in a place where, you know, it's important enough to do that and to not just do music for money, you know, like you get into this mode on like, oh, I don't want to be broke. So all I want to do is music and money, music and money, music and money, music and money. And then it's like, holy shit, now that I have money, where's the music? I'm still just doing like shitty things for money, you know? And and so to be able to be like, I love, let me like really love on something and not care about the money because I'm making the money in other ways, you know? That's that's really like a, that's like the, the, the 30s and up goal I've reached at this age is like, okay, now let's find our way back to having fun. Right. You know? And that's the thing, right? Is like under no circumstances is it possible to, I mean, both you and I are in our mid thirties and I spent every year of my twenties grinding as hard as I humanly could. And I don't think that that was a mistake. And I think, I think trying to walk in too soon with you know, oh, I'm going to walk away from something and, oh, I'm being mistreated. Like, I don't think that's the way to do it at all. Like, mm-hmm. I think I don't I'm not advocating for mistreatment, but I'm advocating for the fact that, like, there is no fast way mm-hmm. to do this. And, like, even if you have all the connections in the world, maybe you can, you know, maybe you can expedite. But um, if you keep showing up, And you keep showing face at the places that people, you know, if it's jazz, you're at the whatever, you know, you're at Smalls or if it's, you know, this, you're at New Blue or if it's this, you're like at 54 Below, like showing face, meeting people, like, you know, making those connections. I I, I don't, you know, that that, that the only reason that people are going to call me at all is because I've done stuff and I just did as many things as possible. But yeah, did it when I started, did I music direct? This is a true story. Did I music direct? <laughs> I can barely get through this without a laugh. Did I music direct a show that was 16 performances and five weeks of rehearsal plus auditions as music director for $800 total? Yes, I did. I, I did. remember you telling me about that. I know who you did that with. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And here's the thing. That gig, once again, like I was teaching at that point. So I had enough money coming in. And like, yes, I was like moving students around and trying to make all of it work. But having the other source, having the more stable thing that you were talking about teaching, mm-hmm. like allowed me to say yes to this and and, and not sink Mm -hmm. 
And, and this is, I mean, this is the reality is like, you have to have something stable somehow yeah. to make the other thing work. And because I did that gig, I met like five or six people, maybe more through that experience that have been lifelong collaborators. And I've made tons and tons more money from. So like in terms of the investment, I knew I was told like who the team was. And I was like, these are the right people to be in a room with. I was like, you know what? The investment here is absolutely worth it. I wonder if you've had moments like that where you just did something like an investment moment where it was like time for no money, but then it paid off. It paid off. Yeah, yes. I mean, oh, definitely. You know, it's hard. I can't think of one right now that is super direct, you know, but I have been, I've been to gigs where it's like, oh, hey, this is an influencer party. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You're literally, you're going to be in front of, yeah, exactly. You're going to be. They gave you some free. uh, (laughs) You're going to be in front of like some really important people, you know, and, and. I don't think that really harbored anything out of it, but you know, there are, there are a lot of times, you know, if, if anything, it's a lot of times with like what you're saying, like with gigs, certain gigs where you're like, Oh man, dude, I'm getting mistreated so poorly. This is art as far as finance, you know, like, Oh, this just makes no financial sense. But every player here is killing, you know, like every player here I know is like, gonna you know maybe invest in me somehow you know like if if i do something for free for somebody it's like well maybe i can ask them for a favor one day and and it's not such a loss you know and in in ways like that you know it's like Mm -hmm. yeah playing the fucking mercury lounge on a monday for somebody with in front of like two people and there's like a whole band like okay this is an investment gig we're playing to the staff right now (laughs) but here's the thing right and this is and this is the the other half of of who's of who's of who's there for the right reason. Like I know you and the the reason, I mean, full transfer I haven't said it enough, but like I hire you for everything. Like you're my you're my guy if if I need someone uh on guitar or like anything. I've tried there was a show that didn't happen that I wanted you to produce on and do beats oh, for. But like yeah. But like I would hire you for anything. And one of the reasons is even if you're at Mercury Lounge playing for two people, you're still Shred, you're still just shredding face and like so spiritually and musically connected that um but that's the thing right like the people who are gonna get gigs are the people who yes they know that the circumstances suck mm-hmm. and that never comes into the actual once the once the music starts it's gone. It, it doesn't exist. Like, yes, maybe until maybe the negotiation process for a bigger thing, or maybe like trying to get the gig was abysmal and dealing with someone's manager who was trying to hire you sucked. But then you get on stage or get in front of your, you know, whatever, whatever situation. And it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's not going to affect the quality of your music making and i think that's honestly the most inter- the most important thing is that you i know that your product i know that you are going to consistently make me feel beautiful things through whatever guitar shit you're doing even if yeah like there have been times where i'm like hey this pays 250 dollars. i'd love to pay you more than that but like 
having you on this maybe guarantees you something in the future, but also just continues our relationship. And then also like, I know that I can't trust anyone else with this based on how much material this is and uh, what the timeline is. And I, I really need you there. Are you willing to take, you know, you should be paid more like 400 bucks minimum or something, but like you find your people and you build a relationship and then there's a gig that pays $5,000 and you're like, Hey, it was worth it. And you know, know, it's always about like, yeah, showing up, on the on like the when it's time to actually perform like being able to let go of all that shit and let go of all the logistics that led you up to that because at the end of the day it's like this is all leading up to this moment of you playing you know and so it's up to you to either self-sabotage or just get into it you know because like at the end of the mm. day it's like no matter how shitty it was getting up there you're still the one that people are looking at and like it doesn't it, it's gotta have to be like the same if you were in an arena or if you were at Mercury Lounge. You got to play the same with your fucking balls in your hands, you know, like just literally like like nothing else matters, you know. And 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 if, and if anything, sometimes it's like you want to I, I play harder when I'm mistreated because I'm like, dude, look how mistreated I am because I'm showing up a thousand percent. You know, mm. with like my full gusto and everything. And it's like and you still have like, you know. The, the audacity to say that I'm whatever, whatever, and I don't deserve whatever, whatever, you know. This is a weird example, but uh, <laughs> I got my guitar set up the other week at a guitar center. All right, I'll, <laughs> I'm going to throw them under the bus because I don't fucking care. But this dude, you know, he is like, oh, you know, I can do this. I can whatever, whatever. Uh, you know, we'll have to put a rush on it if you want this at the top of the line. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, and then he sets it up. Brings it back to me. I play and I'm like, dude, this is like, like weird. You know, there's like some spots that are like feeling kind of like not right. And he starts, goes into like telling me all this shit that I already know about and kind of like, oh yeah, you know, this is just how it goes, blah, 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 blah. And you know, what you're really asking for is this. I, I don't do that. And I was like, there, there was like a floating bridge question. I was like, oh, I, I'm pretty sure you can do this. And he's like, nah, we don't do that. And I was like, okay. And I was like, you know what? Let me go test the guitar out and play. You know, I go to an amp and I start playing. And he's like, he's like, well, you sound amazing. What the fuck? He's like, you sound really good. I was like, yeah, thanks, dude. I was like, that's why I needed it to do this thing. And then like after he heard me playing, he was like, oh my God, okay, okay. And then he started oh. like treating it like it was like different. Oh. I was like, you know, oh. you shouldn't have to see me actually oh. being good at this to get a little bit of respect out of you. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, that's, Dude, that's that, that's that's the musician version of like, you know, the the person walks into like Tiffany's in flip flops and you know Adam Sandler sh- big puffy like <laughs> right, gym right. shorts, and the person's like, ah, you shouldn't be here, and it's like that's the person who has a million dollars in his cash in his wallet, right. like, what you know, the, yeah, the idea that, and that's rampant, that's rampant mm. everywhere. Uh, uh, throughout the like the the capitalism, you know, the capitalism sector that's like highly money flush, mm. comparatively, you know, be it be it Broadway or be it like I don't know, like orchestras or the idea, you know, who who knows? But um, there's a lot of there's a lot of judgment, and then I I do think that like the ta- you know yeah talent speaks volumes, but like you never were. 
you weren't sitting down there trying to show him that you deserved him to set up the thing. You were just like, I'm going to play some stuff. So make sure you did a good job. <laughs> but no, like, I know. You know I know. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, End of the yeah, day, yeah. he he got it, you know, and I'll never go back there again because that's just <laughs> you can't you, you can't like uh, you know you can't out the gate put someone in a box like that, you know, and that that's a big thing with performing and performing with people too is like don't ever you know don't ever think someone is any sort of way uh, you got to go in there without any judgment and like really give it a listen and like give it all your respect and attention no matter what you know. But I guess the last thing that I'll ask you for real is like, was that always just you? Like, were you just naturally inclined to show up with that respect? Or did you have to, did you have any hard lessons where people were like, like put you on the floor being like, who do you think you are? Oh no! I've definitely had hard lessons. Definitely. Like, can you can you give just just for people because I know that that is you now because we've had this relationship and I know that you're good for anything anytime like we've been talking about. But like, how did like how did you get there? And is there any story that you can think about where like you didn't show up with that and someone just like put just like knocked you over? You know, it was uh, maybe maybe not so much not showing up. Maybe it was more about like this situation was me showing up with an ego, thinking that I was some hot shit. <laughs> you know, it was when I was like I was like eighteen or nineteen playing with this cover band, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and obviously I was underage, but I got into this bar somehow and. Uh, I got. I had a little too much to drink. You and got into a bar. I got. I know. Underage. It was just because I had the guitar and I walked in <laughs> with the band. Like, oh, he's got to be over twenty one because he. But he looks like he's fifteen. Yep. Um. But I had a little too much to drink, and they had me sitting on the last on the last set, and uh, they're like, "All right, David, take a solo." And I proceed to take the shittiest solo of my life. The other guitar player who was like maybe 20 years older than me reaches over and he just turns my amp off <laughs> in the middle of my shitty solo. He's just like, <laughs> and I was He's like, like, no. I was like, I was, I was like drunk enough to not notice, which is what was even more embarrassing. Oh, that's so going. embarrassing. You kept playing. And it was just like, oh my god, David! That that moment it was like it just was etched into my memory. Like you Whoa. gotta be more humble than that. You cannot navigate like that, dude. Whoa! <laughs> I love crazy. that that image, man. Him just like he's like, you're done. He's like, you're nope. done. Who? <laughs> wow. Oh, dude, that is a perfect story. And I think that's a perfect place to end. Yeah. That I don't think I can top. I don't, I'm not going to try to top that. So (laughs) I really appreciate uh, the conversation, man. It's been really cool to just like hear more about, uh, what you do and, and, uh, it's great catch up, man. I love talking like this, man. Absolutely. Um, can you let people know, like, if they want to check out your music or what you do for sync or what you do for live stuff, like where can people find you on various like sites or socials or whatever? So my website is probably the, the easiest thing to navigate to. It's sub Q sounds.com. That okay. shows like all the work that I've done with sync and like a bunch of albums that I've been on. So sub Q sounds.com um, or my Instagram is sub Q music. You know, those are basically the only two things I'm active on. 
<laughs> cool, man. Well, thank you so much for, for your time. And uh, man, I can't wait to play again soon. Yes, let's catch up soon, Dan. I love you. Thank you for having me on this show. Let's talk soon, bro. Yeah, man. I'll send you this recording after we're done, too. Okay, that sounds great. We'll figure it out. All right, ciao. <laughs> man, I'll talk to you soon. Once again, thank you to David Kawamura, a.k.a. Sub-Q Music, for being our first guest and being a wonderful guest at that. You can find all of his information linked in the description of this podcast to his website, to his music, to more about him. Once again, thank you for listening to Taken Off the Ritz. I'm Dan Garman, and we will see you next week.